I read so many personal development books, probably read a hundred books over the past decade. Eventually, I moved towards seeking a guru, like finding my meditation teacher or looking for my Reiki practitioners. But now I think I'm coming to a place where I'm like, okay, I am defined. I have my own connection to source. I don't have to rely on someone else to help me connect to source. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, exploring Reiki and spirituality, an interview with Rajeshwari Rai. You're listening to Spiritual AF Sundays, created and hosted by The Mystic Geek. If you're looking to explore intriguing questions about the meaning of life and our place in the universe, then you're in the right spot. We dive into topics often discussed as sound bites on social media and take a deeper look, whether it's woo topics like astrology and mysticism, or seemingly mundane matters like technology and politics, we cover it all. We explore our own thoughts and beliefs, talk to experts, and uncover hidden meanings. These fascinating areas of exploration can help us question ourselves and better understand our world. Ready to grow and explore in your spiritual journey? We're glad you can join us. It's time to start your week off by being spiritual AF. Hello, friends, fellow mystics, and spiritual rebels. This is Jessica, the Mystic Geek, coming to you with yet another perspective on this Spiritual AF Sundays podcast. In my previous episode, I brought on Debbie Barr to talk about Reiki being the breath of life. I wanted to add in additional perspectives to add depth to this conversation. So let me share a little bit about today's guest. Rajeshwari Rai is a certified Reiki master teacher. She is trained in several forms of Reiki, including Usui Reiki, Karuna Ki Reiki, Money Reiki, Dragon Reiki, and Soulmate Reiki, which those are new to me. Through her business, Reiki Energetics, she supports her clients as they process old patterns and work through challenges such as grief and pain management. In addition to remote healing sessions, Rajeshwari also teaches classes and offers coaching services. You can learn more at ReikiEnergetics.com, which is R-E-I-K-I-E-N-E-R-G-E-T-I-X.com, or follow Rajesh at Reiki Energetics on Instagram. Today, she'll be discussing how she got started in Reiki, providing intriguing insights on how these tools have aided her in her journey and how they can potentially help you too. She'll also delve into the essential role of community, painting a vivid picture of how we as social creatures can benefit immensely from shared experiences. Lastly, Rajeshwari will introduce to us an intriguing concept, embodiment, and how tuning into your body can provide valuable guidance. So stay tuned as we explore these fascinating topics that promise to provide profound insights for your own spiritual journey. That's a lot of P words that I wrote down for myself there, but we can go forward with this. It's time to grab your favorite beverage, sit in your favorite chair, and get ready for this lively discussion. And welcome back, listeners. Today, we have a special guest, Rajaswari, with us to talk about Reiki, along with other things when it comes to how spirituality can sometimes be reaped. Rajaswari, we're really glad to have you here today. Hey, thank you for having me, Jessica. (laughs) How are you? I am doing good, doing good. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. 
So I do Reiki. I've been doing it for a little bit over a year now, professionally, but I've worked on friends and family, like over 100 people now. So I specialize in Usui Reiki, which is the traditional Reiki that most people know of. But I'm also trained in Money Reiki and Soulmate Reiki, which are formed channeled by Stephanie Braille. Very recently, I'm trying to experiment with Dragon Reiki. I'm still exploring his energy, so I haven't really tried that with people. Got it. So you mentioned a bunch of different branches of Reiki. I'm familiar with the first one that you mentioned, since that is the quote-unquote traditional form. Tell us a little bit more about these other forms of Reiki that are out there. I think the very understanding of Reiki is that you will be usually attuned by a master. So someone who knows how to access source energy and then they go through a series of protocol to make sure that you can connect to the energy. So Mani Reiki and Soulmate Reiki are just different forms that cater specifically to download that particular vibration. It's like being on a radio and instead of listening to 98.7 FM, you'll be tuning in specifically to 111.1 FM. You're just tuning to that particular frequency for many or for soulmate Reiki. And a lot of people think that money Reiki is like, oh, I'm going to have a lot of money after doing this Reiki. But actually, if we do money Reiki, it's to make sure that you're more comfortable with the spirit of money. Like whether you have too much money, too little money, you'll be comfortable in the presence or the absence of it. So it's kind of like fine-tuning your relationship with money. And usually that will bring in that balance that once you're in a more surrendered place when you're like, okay, I'm going to be taken care of regardless. That's interesting. So one of the things we talked about before jumping in on this recording is how Reiki is used and how it's accepted in areas outside of Japan as well Mm -hmm. as outside the U.S. And the reason why I'm bringing up those two different things is based on history, lore, whatever you want to call it, Reiki originated in Japan. And then a lot of the popularity was in the United States after the 1940s and onwards when it really started to blossom. It, it became popular around the world, but those are like the two main areas that at least I'm familiar with when it comes to this discipline. What is your experience since you are outside the United States? I got attuned to level one through my Reiki practitioner. It was very interesting because I was looking for a partner at that time and my friend said she had done three sessions of Reiki with a lady and she had a boyfriend at the end of it. So I was like, I want a boyfriend, I'm going to do Reiki. My practitioner, she did Reiki for me, three sessions, and she said like, Rajesh, it'll be so much easier for you to do the Reiki for yourself at home whenever you want. And I thought, you know, that's pretty cool. If I knew how to do it for myself, then I could sleep better, work with my insomnia. There was also a friend who passed away last year. So... It helped me work through the grief of that as well. So that's how I like rediscovered Reiki after 10 years. So when I did my level one, I did it with a person. I did it with this lady that I got Reiki from. But subsequently, I found out that on Udemy, you can do Reiki for as little as like 20 US dollars. And I was like, okay, that's so much cheaper than what I paid her. I paid her something like three digits. And it wasn't a price thing. It's just that, you know, I was thinking that if I can receive this energy, over distance and time anyway, then it shouldn't matter if I got attuned by a teacher or by someone online. I actually got attuned to it online. And so my experience of it is that locally, there are people who have gotten it done by a specific teacher, but there's a number of people that I'm now learning have gotten it done online. So I think it's way more expensive in Asia now, but only because of online courses that are available. If not, you would have to go, I think, in the past to Hawaii. I think that's where... Takata first brought it to when she went to America. Yeah. 
at least not at those prices. Yes. <laughs> I remember we were saying it was like $10,000. But keep in mind, it was also, she was trying to survive at that time with a lot of the anti-Japanese rhetoric. But at the same time, it was like $10,000 that really limits who can access it. Now, I was thinking about, we had that preliminary discussion, right? And I was thinking about what you said. And initially, I was like, oh, this is such a exorbitant amount. And it was meant, like, my takeaway was like, oh, it's meant to control people. It's meant to be inaccessible to people. But the more I thought about it, I came to realize that with Reiki, you have this, like, not power, but you have to know how to use it. Like, you have to have, like, really good intentions. You have to make sure you're a clean vessel. And I thought that if someone paid that kind of price, they would make sure that they're using it with good intentions, like nothing black magic or nothing like inappropriate would come out for that. So on hindsight, I thought that, you know, it was a way of the control was useful because it meant that people really took away from the sessions and, you know, hopefully they didn't do anything complicated with it. Like I read that the Reiki symbol, you had to draw it, practice drawing it, and she would take all these papers and throw them away. And you could bring zero notes home. We talked about Reiki and how it's been pulled from Japanese culture and tradition and other things around there. And the interesting thing on it is sometimes with Reiki, it includes things from other traditions as well. Like, for instance, in the Western world, usually they'll not just talk about symbols, but they'll bring in chakras, which are not Japanese or even Buddhist, but they actually come from Hinduism. We have that level of borrowing. Have you seen other types of spiritual borrowing? Mm, I mean, when I looked at, when I did level one, my teacher and I asked her like, hey, you seem to be working on chakra points because I went there with zero knowledge. And she insisted that we are not using chakra points. But I was like, no, pretty certain we are doing the chakra points. But I've also seen it done in Joe Dispenza's work when he has you do certain breathing exercises to kind of like release what he calls thought energy. And my understanding is that he's trying to release Kundalini energy, which is this serpent-like energy at the base of your spine. So he gets you to do something called a Mula Bandha lock, but he doesn't call it that. He calls it something else. So he squeeze your perineum and squeeze your genital area. And then you keep transferring the energy upwards. And the idea is that you transfer it upwards all the way to the pineal gland, where it is then processed. But even Joe Dispenza uses the language energy centers. He doesn't refer to it as chakra points, but honestly, that's what he's talking about. Yeah, it's like they're very similar on concept, but yeah, calling it energy center versus chakra is a little bit better. So when we're talking about this, we're adopting things from other people's cultures or other cultures that are out there. What are your thoughts on the energetics behind this? I know there's a lot of dialogue when it comes to the political or cultural implications, but few Mm -hmm. people actually talk about the spiritual implications of it. When I've joined some spiritual Facebook groups before, they were like, oh, you know, you can do a Lakshmi mantra for many. And sure enough, it works quickly because Lakshmi is like a very potent energy to work with. But what a lot of people don't realize about mantras is that you have to have a certain practice. You have to choose to commit something like 40 days to it. You have to do 108 repetition. So it just sounds like, you know, uh, when we take things conveniently, like, oh, I need money. I'm going to do this mantra for money. And once I have certain things changing, I'm going to stop. I think it takes away a little bit from the principle behind the mantra, which is that you're supposed to be in a meditative state. You're supposed to work with your breath because our breath is our life force. And, you know, without breathing, you can't do so many things. So even our chakras is actually based on this whole premise of the Maslow's hierarchy. Are you familiar with that? No, I'm not. Maslow's hierarchy of need. I came across it because I'm an educator. And the educator lens of it is that 
if a child doesn't feel safe in your classroom, if he doesn't have food, if it's cold, he's not going to listen to you. So they talk about it as a safety and comfort and needs of the child being fulfilled first. So based on the chakra system, that's actually the root chakra. Safety and security is root chakra. Then you can move on to sacral, which is the second level, creativity. And technically, you're supposed to ascend through seven levels to get to the highest level, which is self-actualization. So with chakras, it's just that if your root chakra is not balanced in the first place, then all of us who do all this unblocking of chakras or like clearing of energetic debris in the chakras, it's not useful for you because the energy doesn't really know how to circulate because you were supposed to have a solid foundation. It's like building a house. You can't get there without having the house. So if you have too much energy, too quickly, then you wouldn't know how to process it. And that's when a lot of people get very disillusioned, I feel. And then they're like, oh, these things don't work for me. But they do work. You just need to know how to optimize it. So it sounds like without having the knowledge of how it integrates, it can really affect you. I agree. And most of my work now has got to do with like embodiment, like coming back to the body. So recently, all of my research is like people do mantras or they do meditation and everything is outside of you. But you're a spiritual being in a human body and you have to keep coming back to the body. Like stop running away from the uncomfortable feelings and come back and keep feeling those feelings. Like even if they're uncomfortable, they're only there to be felt and expressed and then they will move through you. Embodiment is so important and I think like everyone's like, oh, I'm going to do this other thing and I'm going to like accelerate my spiritual growth. Just coming back to your vessel and being super comfortable with yourself. I've heard that term come up a lot over the last mm. few years, which is interesting, the whole concept of embodiment. Because first off, a lot of times when we talk about spirituality and all these different things, we talk about like high vibe versus low vibe. High vibe being more the spiritual, low vibe being more the, the physical side. What I've noticed here, I'm not sure if you've noticed it as well, it seems almost like there's this resurgence of embodiment, focusing on the body, focusing on the physical world and our senses versus being mostly in head and in our spirit. This also coincides with what's happened in the world over the last three years. Have you seen that as well, where we're more focusing on the present moment and our physical forms and physical experience? I think that we have been so out there. So I was just telling a friend the other day that my fantasy world is so fun and so vivid. And when I go into meditation, they're like an altered state. And I kind of want to keep going back to that place, but it doesn't help me function in reality all the time. And so I have to tell him that I have to figure out this balance of like being in the altered state and then actually functioning in the human realm as well. So I think that the current struggle that most people have would be to have a balance between being optimized in the embodied form as much as possible, but also doing some spiritual practice to get back to that place. Because last I checked, like so many of us are not doing our spiritual work. So I would rather we do too much spiritual work and then scale back rather than not doing any spiritual work. Yeah, that is completely legit on that one. And so as we're moving forward, I've been noticing people pulling from other cultures. We've already talked about the chakra system. We talked about Reiki. What do you think drives them to look outside of their own culture in order to find spiritual truth? I think there are two aspects to this. Like the first is that we seem to be shopping around for what seems to fit our current belief system. So we have a set of beliefs and then your current conditions don't cater for that. So you're like, okay, my current belief system is like not working. And then we are shopping around for a belief system that does. I forgot where I was going in the second one. But yeah, I feel like the resurgence is because we're trying to find out how to do things differently. 
And I think the more people learn that we are spiritual beings having a human experience, the more they're trying to figure out how to manifest. Like everyone's using the word manifestation and law of attraction or law of resonance. Like I've heard so many of this used. And I think the most recent law I've heard is law of positive assumptions. Like expect something to happen and it will happen. So I was telling my friend about this and she's like, well, that's like the opposite of Murphy's law. Like everything that can go bad will go bad. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, it's such a empowering place to be in, right? And you expect everything to go well. So I think we're shopping around for what will suit us, but mostly because it doesn't fit our current paradigm. Recently, I read about this thing called the four levels of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So there is victim mode where you think everything's happening to you and you have this external locus of control. Oh, I can't afford a house. The housing market is crazy. Interest rates are crazy. All these foreigners are buying up our houses. So if you keep directing your focus to problems outside of you, then there's victim consciousness. And I think the second one was like manifesto consciousness, where most people are at now, where they're trying to do vision board or do mantras or some sort of spiritual practice to manifest a certain outcome. But they're still very driven by the 3D reality and what we see around us. So the third level is in between those two. But the last level is about surrendering, about knowing that you are consciousness. So everything that's happening to you is a hologram anyway. So I think it's just like everyone's trying to manifest stuff or they're trying to like influence reality. I think it's just because there's this whole law of attraction stuff. Like I was just telling a friend, like the spiritual industry alone is probably like billions of dollars. The last I checked. I'd have to double check what it is, but it's a lot. <laughs> And I know that because in addition to people shopping around for spirituality, there's people shopping around on how to run a spiritual business. So the people that teach those people are the ones throwing around, yes. oh, the spiritual industry is huge yeah. on it. And I feel like part of it is the whole people feeling like they need to adopt because they see someone with symbols or whatnot. And they, okay, okay, this person's got it figured out. I want to have what they're having mm -hmm. and then they're going to go into whatever practices, which I know in our area tends to be a fairly materialistic one. So it's like, okay, rather than fully understand the chakras, I'm just going to get the chakra bracelet and be fine that way versus really deal with stuff. So I feel like that might also be part of why people are shopping around is they're trying to, like you say, find something that is compatible to their beliefs. And sometimes people's beliefs are, I just need to have an object to be in proximity of to fix my stuff. Yes. If I recall right, Buddhism was born because Hinduism was too stifling for the common people. Like in Hinduism, there's a caste system. So you have five castes where you have the Brahmins, the priests and the scholars. Then you have the warriors, the merchants, and then you have the untouchables, the Dalits. So I think when we had like prayers and sacrifices and all that it was very restricted to the royal people. Like when a certain hierarchy in society got access to this praise because they had the money and the resources to pay these people. And so Buddhism was actually born out of the common man's need to have access to spirituality and this tool. So I think when Buddha came about it, he was like, yes, we are going to be a merit-based system. If you do so many good deeds, then you become more Buddhist. So but I think that had its own impact as well, like karma and all that. But only less problematic than Hinduism was. So with all of these different things going on, all of the different messaging, all the different options out there, because we are going towards a globalized society where we have access to all these different things, what guidance do you have to people who are looking at all of these different cultural options when it comes to spirituality on figuring out what's right for them? 
I find that last year, the tool that helped me the most was breath work, coming back to the body through your breath. And then there's certain emotions that want to move through you. I also really liked uh, this thing called trauma relief exercise. And that was super cool because I didn't have to talk about stuff to someone. Like, I think, you know, sometimes it's so hard to speak to a psychologist, go through a story, and then like re-traumatize yourself a little bit in that process. So trauma release was cool because it's just my body shaking. Like your body has certain tremors, your process, and I would feel super good at the end of it. So those are two tools that I'm actually working with right now. Breathwork and trauma release, both are like facilitated sessions by my trainers. Essentially, I would say go back to community. Like what was really helpful for me was to talk to people about it. And, you know, I'm 37, but most of my friends are not into spirituality yet. So I found like my community truth, Facebook groups, the one where we connected or other spiritual groups. I also do it on Reddit, where the other Reddit practitioners. So I would say like community is a big thing. But also find practices that let you work with your body, whether that be in the form of yoga or breath work or Reiki or some kind of meditative exercise where you keep doing body scans and stuff. A mixture of embodiment in your practice and then also community because we are a network of creatures. We're supposed to be social. So whatever community works, find it. Is that what you're saying? Yes. But you know, the last thing that I found very useful to me, especially when I learned of human design, is to keep checking in with your body. Like human design has five types of people, five types of profiles. And I'm a sacral being, so I would find that if something resonates with me, my body has a flowering. Like I'll feel my chest open up and really expand. And when it's not for me or if the advice doesn't resonate, my body actually clamps up. So I'm now learning to lean in more into how my body reads certain people's energy. Or mm-hmm. if someone says X, Y, Z, Jessica says like, hey, Rajesh, go do this thing. Then I'll be like, okay, how does it feel in my body? So coming back to embodiment, but also really being super in tune with your body and your body's feelings and knowing what resonates and then keep coming back to yourself because as we grow spiritually I think there's a progression I read so many personal development books probably read a hundred books over the past decade so I was just spiritually entertained I was just absorbing the knowledge not doing anything with it not practicing eventually I moved towards seeking a guru like finding my meditation teacher or looking for my Reiki practitioners but now I think I'm coming to a place where I'm like okay I am Define. I have my own connection to source. I don't have to rely on someone else to help me connect to source. So I'm always like shuffling between the two a little bit, having a guru, someone to lead me when I get a bit lost, but keep coming back to source, keep connecting back to your own source energy. And I think the easiest way to do that is truth the body. Thank you so much for your wisdom there. So we're getting close to time. Is there anything else that you want to share with our guests today? Nope. I would say try Reiki. If you haven't tried it before, you know, go experiment with all the different types of Reiki, whether it's through Jessica, because you told me you're a Reiki practitioner too, right? Yeah, I am. Experiment with Reiki. <laughs> Thank you so much for that little plug on that one. So Rajeshwari, if people want to connect with you, because you're the guest here, <laughs> where can they find you online? So I'm on www.reikienergetics.com. That's R-E-I-K-I-E-N-E-R-G-E-T-I-X.com. And they can connect with me on Instagram through the same handle, Ricky Energetics. I will make sure that we put that in the show notes. Again, Rajaswari, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you so much for doing this. That was a fun discussion. Let's recap. First, the various types of Reiki. Most of us are familiar with Usui Reiki, which is that traditional version that was developed by Mikao Usui and was adapted and adopted by those of us in the Western world. Rajaswari brought up 
other traditions of Reiki, offshoots that were developed with specific intentions in mind as a way for us to gain energetic, mental, and physical alignment on different issues. In hindsight, I should have asked her more about Dragon Reiki and what that's about, but again, hindsight is twenty twenty. I came into this thinking that Rajeshwari's experience with Reiki was going to be different since she's from Singapore, which is in Southeast Asia. Turns out that even though we're across the world from each other, we have similar types of experiences. She experienced Reiki through a practitioner first, who then suggested that she learn how to do Reiki for herself. I like this philosophy because it gives us the opportunity to be agents of our own healing. What I found interesting was that Rajasrari's teacher did not integrate chakras, which come from the Hindu tradition. I've typically seen spiritual traditions that have been westernized use one variation of the chakra system when explaining the energetic body. So Rajasrari sharing that her level one teacher did not do so caught my attention. Also, if you missed that part where Rajaswari tied the seven-tier chakra system to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, go back and re-listen to that part. If you want to look at the chakras as metaphors instead of as energy centers, that is definitely worth a listen. We also discussed the resurgence of the concept of embodiment, which is a bit of a change from the energetic, mental, and vibration focus that we've seen in spirituality lately. Rajeshwari not only shared her own experience, but also offered insight on how this challenge of balancing the mental and the physical can manifest in a person's spiritual practice. Lastly, we touched upon this current environment where people are shopping around for their spirituality and adopting parts from various traditions. Rajeshwari gave some interesting insights as to what people are looking for when they do this. If you want to follow up with our guest and check in on her, learn more about what she does, check out her website, ReikiEnergetics.com, or follow her at Reiki Energetics on Instagram. Do you know someone who would be interested in learning about Reiki and more of an East meets West type of discussion? I'd love for you to share this episode with them. That's going to wrap up this episode of Spiritual AF Sundays. And remember, there's a lot of information, tools, and resources out there that can help you grow spiritually. However, if all you're doing is absorbing information and not practicing, that knowledge is just going to bog you down rather than support you. It's important to recognize your own connection with source and to integrate the tools that you learn about into your own day-to-day practice. That's all for now. Have a spiritual AF week. Thank you for joining us for Spiritual AF Sundays. This show is hosted by The Mystic Geek, that's me. Got comments or questions from today's episode? You can either email me at jess at themysticgeek.com or send me a voice message at speakpipe.com slash themysticgeek. Don't worry, I'll put the link in the show notes. Help others start off their week with a spiritual AF Sunday by sharing this episode with them. Also, five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts help spiritual seekers find our show. So do the thing.